Today we come to the end of a series that we've been in for quite a while, but I wanted to tell you that next Sunday we start a new series that we're called The Business of Living. And you know, uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in life, and if we just handle it the way God, you know, God, uh, God supplies us with everything that we need uh, to live life. And if we manage it the way God uh, tells us to manage it, everything will go better in our life. Not perfectly. There's always something going to be going on, but everything will go better in our lives. So I hope you'll join us next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock as we get started in that. But today, as I said a while ago, we do come to the end of our study in 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a letter uh, written by the Apostle Peter, inspired by God, intended by God to be in what we call the Bible. Uh, he wrote it to Christians who were scattered like seed uh, uh, to, you know, to, to bring a harvest or like salt for preserving uh, over the Roman provinces of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Uh, these Christians were, were subject to all kinds of problems and persecutions and troubles like Christians around the world have been. For the fat, past couple of months, we've talked about the fact that none of us, I don't care where we live, in the United States or wherever, none of us as Christians is exempt from catastrophe or pain or illness or death. Uh, uh, trials that, like persecutions, make us draw heavily on the grace of God. He's a great God, and he is the God of all grace, as we're going to read about this morning. And so our subject has been life undaunted, you know, life without fear, life because we know God is in control, living bold in tough times. Rather than cowering down uh, in a hole somewhere, boldly living our life for God. Uh, that does not mean, uh, you know, offensively living our life for God, but it means living the life that God has called us to live. Now, back in 1 Peter chapter 1, where we started, Peter assures us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, Christians, that we are secure in Christ. We don't have to worry about God giving up on us. We don't have to worry about God throwing us out. We don't have to worry about God not caring about us because he always loves and cares for us. And while Peter writes about suffering and persecution, he talks a lot more about faithfulness and holiness. He talks about what it means to be God's people and how we're supposed to live in a fallen world because it can be a really good life living for Christ uh, in this world. And he writes so that believers uh, will experience, if we'll do what Peter says, we'll experience the full bent, uh, benefits of what it means to have a relationship with God and the full uh, benefits of what it means to be related to other Christians. It's wonderful to have brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to have a church family that truly loves each other. Most of all, Peter wants us to see that no matter what happens, God loves us. No matter what happens, God protects us. No matter what happens, God has promised that when the end comes, and a couple Sundays ago we, uh, we read how that Peter said, the end is just around the corner. You know, the end is at hand, not going to be very long until everything we know is not going to exist anymore. But, but when the end comes, we will be vindicated and glorified in Christ and with Christ, and we will spend eternity with him. Now, I think it's safe to assume that each of us has had at least some kind of a minor crisis this last week. And, and some of us have probably had major scares just in the last week because it happens all the time. There are a few certainties about life. Uh, but one of the certainties is that tough times are going to come 
and go. You know, they're inevitable, they're inescapable, they're unavoidable, and we'd like to think. Here's what everybody likes to think. When I get my finances straightened out, I ain't going to have any problems anymore, right? Uh, when I get my degree, all this trouble will be behind me. When I get my job situation, if I just get this job straightened out exactly right, wouldn't have any problems anymore. All the bad stuff would be in the family. Once I get my family raised, it's going to be easy street. Once I get to retirement age, hey, you retired people, you got no problems, right? I mean, everything's just glory, hallelujah with you, and you just coast along because you don't have anything to do. Draw your paycheck. But I want to tell you something that's not true. It's not true for you. It's not true for me. <laughs> it is not true. Uh, you never leave your problem behind. Uh, that's going to happen when we're with Jesus one day. And what we cannot do, we can't spend all of our time worried about, oh, no, what might happen next. And uh, uh, that doesn't get you anywhere. And that's the reason we say, and we continually say around here, let's pray more than we worry. Because worrying doesn't do any good, but prayer does a lot of good. And one of the reasons that we should pray more than we worry is because of this. Because as believers, we have an advantage. We have something that nobody else has. We have God's promise to see us through regardless of what might happen in life. And these promise, uh, this promise is scattered throughout Scripture. And today we're going to focus on this one passage about that. The last verses in 1 Peter chapter 5, and uh, uh, calling this, this sermon, You're in Good Hands. Now, I get accused of having too long a sermon title sometimes, but we'll say the subtitle is Because You're in God's Hands, right? You're in good hands because you're in God's hands. Not ha doesn't have anything to do with any insurance company or anything of that nature. You're in good hands because you're in God's hands. And here's something about God's hands He never lets you go. God's hands is all, all about holding you and guiding you, and helping you. The hand of God is not all about judgment. The hand of God is all about strengthening you. So let's read those, those final verses in Peter's letter, beginning with 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, which says, likewise, you younger people. Now, last week we talked about elders, pastors, leaders, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and this week he starts with, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. It's interesting in the, in the places in scripture where God says, tells one group to submit to another group, uh, he always says we all submit to each other. And be clothed with humility for, and I think this is probably the most important thing in this verse, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if you want God's help, don't be in the proud group, be in the humble group. As I said last week, we, we, we talked about elders, pastors, leaders, how to be a leader. And now you younger, put yourself under the elder. Now this may be referring to just age in general. You know, hey, you younger people, have some respect for the older people. Don't think you know it all. Because these people that have been on earth know some stuff that you can only know by being on earth. Uh, for a long period of time. So have some respect, listen, learn uh, some things. But he may have just been talking about pastors as elders and everybody else as younger. We've discussed, by the way, that, that God has an order that is based on functionality, that he has groups submit to other groups. Submission means just this. 
I voluntarily, not somebody makes me, but I voluntarily limit what I might do naturally in this relationship in order to benefit you. And God teaches in his word, as I've stated before, that there is a spiritual order that God himself has set up. God's the father and Jesus Christ is the son. They're, he's God and it, it, it's the same God. And yet even within the Godhead, there is submission. In the family, men submit to the authority and headship of Christ. Women submit to the spiritual authority of their husbands. Children submit to their parents. Men and women are equal in value, just different in function. Uh, we tend to, uh, to put value and function together, but God doesn't do that. His decision is not reflected on about abilities or, or intelligence or anything like that. His decision about submission and leadership is all about a practical decision of functionality. And then he says, yes, and all of you be submissive one to another. We're still in that fifth verse here. All of you be submissive one to another. So uh, as I said, every time God says, uh, like when he says, wives, submit to your husbands, right before that, he said, everybody submit to everybody. And earlier, uh, when, he, uh, when he talked in chapter three of 1 Peter about wives and husbands, he indicated likewise in the same way we submit to each other. We should all be clothed with humility because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. It shouldn't be all about me and it shouldn't be about demanding my rights and it shouldn't be about, hey, you can't talk to me like that. You don't know who I am and how important I am. Uh, it should be about caring about putting myself under God and caring about what goes on in other people's lives. An humble person, by the way, is a person who realizes the greatness of God. It's difficult to do that. Uh, he or she is a person that considers the needs of others and not just their own needs. An humble person doesn't always put themselves down, but they always build Jesus up. Let's move on, verse six. Therefore, since God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season. Verse seven, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. We'll talk about these verses a little bit later, but you know, we don't do a very good job of managing the problem areas in our lives. Uh, there's something about your life, Gene and I talked about this a lot this week, there's some things that go on in our lives that when they hit us, we just go berserk. You know, we just can't handle it. We look at somebody else whose button got pushed and we say, what's wrong with you? Why are you worried so much about that? We all have different buttons that get, and we just can't handle it. You know, no, the world is coming to an end. The sky is falling. Uh, and that's the reason that we have to take those things and throw them as hard and as far as we can toward God, right? Uh, cast your worries and your anxieties on him. He is the creator of the universe. He's the sustainer of the universe. He holds everything together. He's the only God of the universe, the only God that exists, and he cares about you. That's amazing. You insignificant, you insignificant me, the God of the universe cares when I hurt and knows what's going on within me. It is absolutely amazing to think about them, about that. Verse eight, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, yeah, the devil's real, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse nine says, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood 
around the world. Satan, the devil, the slanderer, the accuser, he's real. Resist him by depending completely on Christ, sometimes by running away as fast as you possibly can. And after a while, we're gonna talk about how that God takes care of us when we do our part. You know, there's God's part and there's our part and that's part of our part, you know, and resist the devil and run away. Verse 10, but may the God of all grace, I'm thankful that he's not just the God of all power, he's the God of all grace. If he's the God of all power, he just squished me. But he's the God of all grace, he cares about me and he intervenes in my life and, and he does good things for me and I don't deserve any of them. But may the God of all grace who called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus. This God that, that gave us the gift of eternal life, that called us into his family, who, who died on the cross for us. After you've suffered a while, you know, there's a little suffering involved in everybody's life, not all suffering, and everybody's not gonna crash and burn. But after you suffer for a while, what do you do these things for you? And we'll talk about them later. Perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. Verse 11, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever, amen. Peter can't talk about how great God is without throwing in something uh, and praise uh, to God. So that's what that's all about. This God that's the God of all grace and all this strength and does so many things for us. He says to him, be the glory and the dominion forever and ever, amen. And then verse 12, by Silvanus or Silas, uh, another way of saying Silas or evidently Silas wrote down Maybe the same Silas that was with the Apostle Paul, but he wrote, evidently he wrote this all down for Peter, and then Peter just signed the end. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Don't worry. You know, maybe it feels like the world's flying apart, but it isn't. This is the grace of God, and God is with you all the way. Verse 13, she who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. So does Mark, my son. Uh, Peter may have been in, uh, uh, in Rome, and Rome may be, Babylon may be code for Rome here. We don't know for sure, but he's talking about the church wherever he is. Uh, and he's talking about John Mark, the guy that wrote the, the second gospel. You know, there's Matthew, and then there's Mark, Luke, and John. Mark, this is the guy that wrote that. Uh, evidently, Peter led him to Christ and guided him in writing his gospel. Verse 14, greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. You're in good hands because you're in God's hands. You're in good hands. God cares about you. Gene and I, in our nightly readings, we've read, we've been reading through Jeremiah recently. <laughs> Ooh, those prophets are rough. They are tough. The minor prophets, the roughest of all, but we've been reading through Jeremiah. And through Jeremiah, uh, God says to the Israelite people, you don't serve me, and you go and you serve all these other gods, and you think I'm going to bless you? And he doesn't work that way, you know? And, and he says, you say, all right, we've been serving all these other gods, but we got the temple here in the center of the city. We're gonna run to the temple and God will save us there. He said, nope, not gonna happen. I'm gonna let you get wiped away because of that. Kind of, uh, it reminded me as we listened to that night after night for the last, uh, at least few, several days, uh, reminded me uh, that, that what we're talking about here is there's God's promises. God's a God of grace and he's a God of mercy and so forth but there's our part over here as well. You're in good hands because you're in God's hands. Now, as far as salvation is concerned, you're not getting out of God's hands. But as far as protection and everyday things and service to God, uh, we, need to, we have some things we need to do. When we have trusted Christ, 
to save us. We have trusted him as the forgiver of our sin. And as we follow him by faith, not in perfection, but as we follow him by faith, we can expect that awesome care that can only come from God. Ultimately, he's with us all the way. Ultimately, with Israel, he had to let them go into captivity and then they got straightened out and then he, then he took care of them. But for this morning, what does it mean to be in God's hands? Three things I'm gonna to mention to you. Here's what God said in this passage of scripture. If you're in my hands, I will honor you. God will honor me. God will lift me up. God will uh, you know, make me high in this life and in the life to come. First Peter chapter five, verse six. He says, therefore, humble yourselves. Make yourself low. Put yourself under God, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you, that he may lift you up in glory uh, at the right time. The New Living Translation puts it like this. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. First, we humble ourselves under God's uh, hand. First, we, we, we put him first in our lives, and then he honors us. Look at that phrase there, that he may exalt you. Now, when a Christian hears that, maybe our first, uh, our first thought might be like when Jesus came to John the Baptist, and, and, and uh, John, he said, John baptized me, and John goes, whoa, wait a minute, you're God, you know? I haven't, you need to baptize me, and Jesus said, no, that's, that's not the way it works. Uh, and and we, so we think, I need to exalt God, and we do. But in Scripture, it says that he is going to exalt us as well. Uh, James 4.10, for instance, says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. It's almost the exact same thing, New Living Translation. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. What does it mean that God will lift us up in honor, that God will exalt us? Well, First of all, it means that he will give us credit and recognition and appreciation and results and blessings and rewards. He's gonna honor us that way. Second thing it means, by the way, is that we don't have to do it ourselves. Couple, throw a couple of pictures on the, uh, on the screen here of Don King and Will Rogers. Uh, I, I don't know a lot of people, but I know who both these guys are. Don King, uh, one of the greatest boxing fight pro promoters that ever lived. He's known for saying, I'm the greatest boxing promoter in the world. And of course, I say that with, with humility. <laughs> Always like that statement. And Will Rogers, the great American humorist, said, get somebody else to toot your horn and the sound will carry twice as far. And the Bible says this, always honor God. Allow God to honor you and you won't have to worry about honoring yourself. Don't worry about, well, I'm not getting enough credit here and I'm not getting enough honor and I'm not getting enough glory and nobody recognizes me for all the work that I do. Allow God to take care of it and it'll carry twice as far. Allow God to take care of it and you'll be way more honored than if you tried to do it uh, yourself. Notice that the next phrase there, or another phrase, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time at the right time. You'll get the blessings you deserve, the credit you deserve, the rewards you deserve, the results you deserve in God's time. I don't know what God's timing is. I don't know why all the time God waits on things, but I know that he does. If it isn't happening right now, it's because in his wisdom, God knows there's something better for you, better for his kingdom 
uh, to be to honor you later rather than honor you now. But at the proper time, God will lift you up. At the proper time, God will honor you. Let's look at another phrase. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in, in due time. That kind of sounds like Thor's hammer, right? It comes out the hand of God crashing down. But that's not what the hand of God is all about. In the Bible, the hand of the God is the hand of God is the deliverance of God. It's the support of God. It's uh, God holds me up in His arms and He guides me with His right hand. Exodus 13 and verse 9, Scripture says, "For with a strong hand the Lord has brought us out of Egypt." And Peter's saying here when he says, uh, "Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God." He's saying, humble yourself under the power and protection and deliverance of God, this God who is with you. And, and what's our responsibility in this? It's, it's to humble ourselves. And what does it mean to be humble? Let me give you three things there. First of all, being humble means being aware of where the power comes from. It doesn't come from you. I don't care how talented uh, you are physically or in any other way. The power comes from God. Second, it's our responsibility to be willing to do good without getting credit for it. That's part of humility. Willing to do the right thing without an attaboy. Good girl. And thirdly, it means being able to rejoice in someone else's success. Well, hey, I, I didn't get any recognition, but they did. Reminds me of Jesus and, and Peter and John at the end of the book of John. They're walking along and and, and, and Jesus is giving Peter a little bit of a lecture. You know, if you love me, you'll do this. If you love me, do that. If you love me, you'll do something else. And Peter looks back and says, how about that guy? How about John back there? And Jesus said, if I want him to stay alive until I come back again, that's none of your business. You just do what I tell you to do. And that's part of humility. Humility means that I, I, I'm not in it for the credit I'm going to get, but I can rejoice in somebody else's success. So what does it mean? Work on being humble. Uh, God will exalt you at the proper time. By the way, I've heard all my life, you can't work on being humble. I think you can. I think you, I think you can work on being aware that, hey, this is not about me. It comes from God. I think you can work on that. I think you can work on being willing to do good without getting credit for it because we, we naturally want some credit. And I like to pat people on the back when they've done something good. But when we get that feeling, we can I think we can work on getting rid of that and we can work on being able to rejoice in somebody else's success. Well, what does it mean not, uh, to, to be in God's hands? It means that God will honor me and secondly, it means that God will take care of me. Now, this is kind of what we like the best, right? God is gonna take care of me. First Peter chapter five and verse seven says, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. That first word care, as in all your care, refers to worries and concerns that bother you. Uh, the word actually means distractions. You know, those kinds of things, you know you should be focused on this, but there's this thing over here that keeps drawing you away. That's what that word means right there. Worries, concerns, those distractions. Now, the word for he cares for you uh, is a different word. It's an action word. It's more than an emotion. It means God takes care of you. Like a parent takes care of a child, God takes care of you. He knows what you need. He knows when you need it. 
it's hard for us to understand sometimes. Sometimes we think we have a financial need. But what we really need to do is to learn to live on less. God is trying to teach us a lesson. Sometimes we think we need companionship. You know, I'm by myself in this world. But what we really need is to take some time and develop that intimacy with God before we can have the right kind of intimacy with another human being. Sometimes we think we need to be healed. But what we really need to do is in our suffering, learn to have compassion and mercy on other people who suffer because that's the reason that God comforts us. The greatest thing about Jesus is that he always gives us just what we need. Now, by the way, sometimes that's just what we want. You know, sometimes what we need is really what we want. I'm not saying that God never gets you, gives you what you need, so, uh, so you know, just suck it up. I'm not saying that. But uh, many times what we need and what we want are the same thing, and God supplies that. So what's our responsibility in this situation? Well, back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says, casting all your care on him. That word casting is a great word. It, it means just throwing it as hard as you can. Now, I can't get a hold of my cares and throw them. But I think sometimes, you just picture it in your mind. You know, we have to have physical things. What do you throw? Is a shot put, a football, a baseball, a bag of laundry, whatever it is, you know, just, just in your mind, throw it as hard and far as you can toward Jesus and say, this is what you want me to do. And to the best of my ability, I'm going to do it. And, and, and the, the, the verb tense there uh, gets the idea of getting it started and never stopping, just a continual throwing motion. We have a personal God who cares about us. And, and, and if it bothers you, it's casting all your care on him. What that tells me is that if it bothers you, it bothers God. If it bothers me, God cares. It may be so some insignificant thing. There's been one thing that bothered me particularly this week and I knew that it wasn't going to last. I knew that it was just a little temporary thing. And I had to go to God and I said, I know that this is a stupid little silly thing, but I can't get away from it. He understands. Casting all your care. I don't know what everything that's bothering you right now, but I know there's always about 100 things that we can worry about. And no matter what problem gets solved, there's something else that comes up. But here's what each one of us need to do, one by one. As cares present themselves to me, I need to make a spiritual decision to cast them as far as I can in God's direction. He will take care of them for you and me because he's promised to take care of them. You put him first, you resist the devil, and then you throw those things as hard as you can at him and let him catch it and take care of it. There's lots of, of passages of scripture in the Bible, by the way, that talk about God takes care of us. We do our part, God takes care of us. And I'm just gonna I'll read it quickly. Uh, Psalm 23, one, the Lord is my shepherd. He's all I need, you know, I shall not want. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you, he'll keep you going. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Philippians 4, 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. By Christ Jesus. Hebrews 13, 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can read verse after verse after verse. There's your part, there's God's part. God never gives up on his part. When you're in God's hands, 
You don't have to try to exalt yourself because he has promised to exalt you. You don't have to let your worries consume you because he has promised to take care of you. And one more thing, what does it mean to be in God's hands? It means that God will restore me. Everybody gets sucked down sometime in their life. You ever make a bad investment? You ever buy some stock for $1,000 and the next day it's only worth $500? I haven't ever done that, by the way, because I never had $1,000 to invest, but have you ever done anything like that? Uh, you said, Ben, I wish I had $500 back. Or if you ever invested, I know people have invested everything they have in a business and everything was gone all of a sudden. And one of the toughest things about suffering is that we may lose ground in the process. This Christian life is not all straight up. Sometimes there's some reversals that take place uh, in our lives. And, and that's one of the toughest things uh, about it. And you've heard this adv advice before. Don't look, look at what you've lost. Look at what you have left. That's fine. It's pretty hard to do, you know, because it's hard uh, to heed that advice. We fall into that if only pit. You know, well, if only I hadn't done that, things would be so much better now. The truth of the matter is, is that everybody loses ground sometime. Bill Gates, one of the wealthiest guys in the world, loses ground sometime. Name, the, name your favorite uh, religious leader or pastor, whether it's uh, 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 Franklin Graham or, or Billy Graham or Andy Stanley or Charles Stanley or whoever it might be. Everybody loses ground from time to time. And God has promised his people that our setbacks are only temporary. Yeah, you're gonna lose ground sometime. You're gonna make a bad investment sometime. You're going to say to yourself, man, I thought things were going to be different from this when I got to this stage of my life sometime, but God has promised to restore and to strengthen us. First Peter chapter five, verse 10 says this, but may the God of all grace, there's that phrase there, the God of all grace, the God in every situation uh, who cares about us, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after You've suffered a while. Sometimes you do have to. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. The word perfect means repair you, prepare you, restore you. The word settle means to make you stable. The New Living Translation puts it like this. After you've suffered a little while, he will restore you, support you, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. Let's look at that promise a little bit more closely, but quickly. Number one, God will repair or restore me. God will put me back. He says, no matter how far you, you know, you've tried to serve me and something didn't work out and you crashed and burned. I'm gonna put you back where you belong. I'm gonna make you again what you should be. Number two, that means God will establish me. He will make me as solid as a rock, you know, uh, uh, I like being thought of as a solid person, an unshakable person, but sometimes I'm not very solid and sometimes I'm pretty shaky. And God says, I, I will establish you again like a solid rock. God will strengthen me, number, number three. That's, a, that's a, actually an athletic term. And God is saying, I'm gonna give you the muscle that you need to do what needs to be done. Number four, lastly, God will stabilize me. He'll set my feet on solid ground. You know, it's pretty scary when there's no solid ground uh, for your feet. You're going down then, but God said, I'm gonna set your feet on solid ground. Sometimes, by the way, you just have to go through it. To understand what it means, you gotta be down for a while and have God lift you back up. 
then you understand what it's all about. No matter what you're going through right now, this is what God has in mind for your future. Restore, establish, strengthen, stabilize. This is what God has in mind for your future if you do your part. What is my part in this? Well, let's read verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober. Sober, by the way, is not drunk. It means more than that. Restrained, well-balanced, in control. But you can't be under the influence something other than God. Be sober. Be vigilant. That means alert. On, on guard. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he, he may devour. Verse 9, resist him. Resist him steadfast, firm in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Take a stand against the devil by being strong in your faith, in your relationship with Christ, in your relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me give you four things there. Uh, of, of what's my part in this? First, I must be in, uh, spiritually in control. I cannot be intoxicated with alcohol or drugs, or the things of this life. Second, I must be watching and aware of what's going on around me. I can't just drift through life as though everything is wonderful. I have to look around, say, hey, there's some bad stuff out there. I gotta watch out for that. Thirdly, I must take a stand against the devil. I, I can't allow myself to be pushed around by ungodly circumstances. Well, you know, people came over, and I knew I shouldn't do that, but people were there. I just kind of went along. You know, don't, don't get pushed around. Uh, uh, I have to take a stand against the devil and say, I don't do that. I do this over here. Number four, I must be strong in my faith. Well, how do I do that? How can I be strong in my faith? Well, uh, God's word has a lot to do with that by knowing, practicing, and applying God's word. Prayer has a lot to do with that as I talk to God and just take my problems and throw them as hard and far as I can. But church has a lot to do with that too, by the way. Uh, God's plan is not for us to make it on our own. God's plan is to help each other, to comfort each other, to strengthen uh, each other. Uh, so being a part of a godly church, getting involved in a godly church, getting involved in a small group, whether it's a weeknight group or a Sunday morning group or whatever it might be, where people care about each other and pray for each other and do things for each other. We're all not going to be top-notch athletes or, or singers or musicians or businessmen, but we can all be strong in the faith, and that's what God requires of us. Take a stand for God, and he will restore you and support you and strengthen you and place you on a solid foundation. Just before his final greetings, Paul close, I mean Peter closes this letter with these words. 1 Peter 5:12, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. New living. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing right now is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Don't quit. Don't say God doesn't care anything about me. Don't give up. What I'm telling you is whatever is going on in your life right now is a part of God's grace for you, and he is making you into the person he wants you to be. And, and he says, I, I just, I'm encouraging you. 
Stick with God there. And remember what God has promised. You know, don't you love that promise in Hebrews 13, 5? One of my favorite promises in scripture, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Sometimes I forsake God, but he never forsakes me. Sometimes I forget about God, but he never forgets about me. Now there are consequences when I don't do my part, but he never forgets about me. When we face hard times, and we all certainly will, it's easy to think I'm in this all by myself. That's a I hate to have that feeling. It's the worst feeling in all the world. I'm in this all by myself. If I don't do it, the world comes to an end. Remember this, you're never alone. God is always with you. And if you have a church family, you're never alone because those people love you and they will come, come to your aid. They're not gonna be as good as God is at it, but they will come to your aid. You can endure anything life has to give. Two final thoughts, and here they are. Number one, you're in good hands because you're in God's hands. If you're in God's hands, it doesn't get any better than that. Final thought, he will honor you. If you're in his hands, he will honor you. He will take care of you. He will restore your life. No matter how low you go, he brings you back up again. Let's pray. Father, I know you're here with us, and I thank you for that. I know you care about us. I know that you will restore us. Uh, I know that even if we don't do our part, while there's suffering and, and, and consequences, we can always come back to you. Give us the grace to do that. For the person that doesn't even know what all this is about because they've never trusted you to forgive their sins and take them into your family and give them the grace to receive you today. For the person that needs to follow you in service, whether it's baptism or church membership or uh, service in some area of ministry. Guide them in that. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name.